most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. We must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Tuesday, April 19th, 2022, the 454th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. So yesterday I mentioned on the show just briefly, it had just come out, but a federal judge has struck down the fake administration's mask mandate on public transportation as unlawful. They said the CDC does not have the power to enact the rules. It has been enacting essentially the mask rule in particular, but the CDC breached its authority to put this rule out there. And the fake administration went outside of its authority to tell people that they had to follow it. And because they said it was a rule and everybody had to follow it, they also said it was a law and that you could be punished if you broke it. And so most people just went ahead and followed it because they didn't want to deal with any pushback from angry flight attendants or fellow passengers. And I get it. You don't want to have those fights all the time with everyone. And traveling is enough of a stress already. If you get taken off your flight that you paid a lot of money for, then you can't make it to your destination. So many other plans get messed up, including the plans of other people that are depending on you arriving in their city. And those outcomes are so annoying that in the cost benefit analysis of it, it seemed worth it to go along with the mask program as a relatively minor disruption that you just have to go along with because you need to get where you're going. Well, thank goodness that period is now over, at least for the time being, hopefully forever, we shall see. It's fairly obvious that there is a wide population of maskies who have no desire to see the mask regime end. By the way, Jack Posobiec in the last few weeks has been using the term maskies with two E's at the end. Hey, man, that's not how it's spelled. I made it up almost two years ago at the end of the summer of 2020. Me, maskies, it's mine, Jack. Get your hands off it. I mean, you can use it, but you got to spell it right. You got to remember it's me who started it. And you got to understand what it actually means. It's not just about the people who like wearing the mask. It's about the personality that they have created among 
themselves in their own community, but also among a generation of children who have been psychologically debilitated, perhaps for their entire lives, by this ridiculous, anti-scientific and totally unlawful rule that was thrust upon our society, first by illegitimate politicians and illegitimate bureaucrats who were unelected, but then by the worst, dumbest, and most authoritarian people in our culture. And as happy as we are now that the mask thing, for all intents and purposes, is over, let's not forget who actually pushed this nonsense on us. And I am talking about people in your lives that you know, okay? The masks don't work. And none of them can actually argue that the masks do work. They just say things like, we're better safe than sorry, or you don't know and I don't know because we're not doctors or scientists. But now we've moved beyond that simple argument about whether or not masks work, whether they should be worn even if they only work a little bit, whether or not they should be worn just out of respect, as Andrew Cuomo in New York encouraged everyone to do. The conversation now is you people just tried to force an anti-scientific method of authoritarian control on the entire population for two years unlawfully. All right. You got to remember that unlawful part because that's the most important part. That's the part we should have been arguing about from the very beginning. Same thing with vaccine mandates. Same thing with business closures. Same thing with all of it. None of it was lawful. By the way, that means all of it is legally actionable, but they didn't care. They didn't care because they thought they had enough of the judiciary and enough of the legal system sewn up so they could never get in trouble for it. They were told they would get all these benefits up front from World Economic Forum aligned interests and governments. People happily took government money, which means the money of their fellow taxpayers so that they could obey the covid regime and do whatever they were told so that they could look publicly like they were the ones helping, even though they were getting paid to go along with the program while everyone else just lost their jobs and was forced to suffer. We should actually remember who these people are and who they were. They refused to think independently. They made terrible decisions for themselves, and then they inflicted their terrible judgment on everyone else, thinking that if they were going to obey because they like to obey, everybody else should obey too, regardless of how much it shocks your conscience to have to go along with something for which there is no rational basis. There has never been, not at one point, a good reason to make healthy people wear masks. There's also no good reason to make sick people wear masks, but at least that's something. Healthy people had to wear masks because we were told that people could get COVID and be asymptomatic and then spread it to everyone else. So that means everyone at all times, whether sick or not, is still a vector for disease. 
And this was done to further atomize the culture, make people want to stay at home because everybody they could possibly be around could potentially get them sick and kill them. Or if not them, they could give them their little bit of asymptomatic COVID and they might carry it elsewhere in the world. Sooner or later, someone gives you their asymptomatic COVID, you take it somewhere else and eventually somewhere down the line, a grandmother is dead and it's your fault. Let's remember the beginning. My mask protects you. and Your mask protects me. That's what we were told initially. Well, initially we were told that masks don't work as the entire history of science and virology had proven. But then we were told that masks did work. They might catch a stray droplet. And so immediately we think of someone sneezing and some little spray coming out of their mouth and going across the room. And if you get that tiny little reference to there will be blood, you are a genius. And if you don't, I'll help you out. Just in case my friend Jordan is listening, he'll know. If you have a milkshake and I have a milkshake and I have a straw, there it is. Now my straw reaches across the room and starts to drink your milkshake. I drink your milkshake. I drink it up. Oh, it's so great. I can hear your applause from here. So your little droplet goes across the room and into somebody's eye. And then all of a sudden, it's 28 days later out there. People are just running around like zombies. And you can tell they're zombies because the music changes. And if it keeps up like this, well, you're going to be too scared to go to Pilates. So a bunch of very dumb people who had no clue about what was actually going on. They did not follow any of the actual science. They did not read the papers. They did not look for a second opinion. They just obeyed the television. All those people forced you to wear masks for the entire time. And they made you a moral outcast if you didn't go along with it. My mask protects you. Your mask protects me. Therefore, if you're not wearing a mask, you are saying to me that you don't care about protecting me because I'm wearing my mask, which says I care about protecting you. Now, it doesn't matter that the masks don't actually protect either of us. And the CDC has even admitted that the cloth masks simply don't work. They told us that the N95s do, but the N95s only work if they are a perfect fit on your face. For men, that means you must be clean shaven. So the mask can seal right to your face. And can you take the N95 mask and put it back on between bites and still have it work? No, you sure can't. Can you sweat in it and still have it work? No. Can you wear your N95 all day long and then put it down on the kitchen counter at night and then put it right back on your face the next day and just go about your day as a good, healthy, happy masky? No, you can't because they don't work that way. So the truth is 
99.9999999% of all the people who have ever put a mask on their face have done absolutely nothing to keep themselves or anyone else safe from the very deadly pandemic. Not once, not once did you help maskies, never. There was no case in which you prevented yourself or someone else from getting COVID, you morons. But if my mask protects you and your mask protects me, well, you are showing with your mask that you are there to protect everyone. Isn't that amazing? All the child brains out there, they don't do anything. They don't actually compete in their world. They are not what one might call the man in the arena. They're literally the man on the couch ordering Uber Eats and watching what happens in the arena as told to them by the news. But that's not fulfilling. That doesn't make them feel morally righteous. So what they have to do instead is come up with a story about how they're actually saving the entire world by doing absolutely nothing. And that is one of their greatest skills. They use it all across the board. They're supporting grooming in Florida so they can seem like they are saving the trans population. We better let a bunch of blue-haired jurors tell our four-year-olds about their wee-wees and hoo-hahs. Because if we don't, who's going to save the trans people from all the violence and white supremacy out there? So they'll post two or three times on Twitter. They'll get a like or two from someone they respect and they'll be like, you know what? I did my part in saving the world today. They just supported the confirmation of a woman to the Supreme Court of the United States, a woman who does not know whether or not she's a woman. She has no ability to define woman because she's not a biologist. Well, she also went super lenient on a bunch of child pornographers. But you got to defend her. You got to defend her at all costs. If you don't defend her at all costs, then how will you know you're fixing racism? So they put out two or three tweets. They get two or three likes from someone they respect. And then they brush off their hands and say, another hard day's work in the books. Let's go grab an acai bowl. Remember these people, remember them taking their selfies with their mask on all the time. And why did they do it? Why did they do it? We're talking about people who literally edit their selfies, people who take hundreds of selfies every day and then edit them and then put filters on them just so they look so good. They don't look anything like themselves at that point, but. So good. So good. We're talking about people who will literally get their face changed. Someone will cut their face open with little knives and stuff all sorts of plastic in there so that they look good in their selfies. And they still edit them after that. And they still filter them after that. But those people put on masks and they took selfies in the masks and they posted them over and over and over again just to let everybody know 
I am a maskie. Fear not. I am a maskie. I will never threaten your life with COVID because I am a maskie. And then, of course, later it moved on to Vaxi. But the Vaxi problem is that they didn't have a visual cue for everyone else. That's part of why they wanted the segregation so badly. Because without the segregation, you don't really know who's vaxxed and who's not. Who's following the rules and who's not. Who are the good people and who are the no-no people. But the mask is perfect. The mask shows everyone. I am one of the good people. I am helping to save the world by doing nothing. Congratulate me now. (sighs) Applaud, you stupid bastards. They needed that visual cue. And they have enjoyed that visual cue for the entire time. And now what? Now what? They're freaking out because people on planes are allowed to make their own choices about whether or not to put masks on their face, knowing they don't work. And now, once again, the child-brained communists in the country, the ones still remaining somehow, the ones who still have not, after two years, considered whether they might be wrong about some of the most important issues in their lives. You know, the very smart people, the people who follow the science and listen to the experts, the people who trust the television. Well, for them, the plane and the airport were their safe space. They knew that everyone else would be forced to comply with them. They would feel like everybody likes to comply. Everybody is happy to comply. We are all part of one society and our society is happy to comply with masks. That's what they told themselves every time they went through an airport, every time they were sat on a plane, they were in the right. Everybody else had to obey. This is the safest space we can possibly have. Well, what now? What now when they find out that no, hey, turns out nobody's wearing masks. Oh, I really only represent five to 10% of the population. Could that really be all? That's the moment they're all afraid of. They're afraid of seeing everybody else doing what they want, which is not the thing that the rules say they're supposed to do. That for them is an absolute nightmare. They are convinced by our culture, by our media, by social media, by everything that they are not only the morally right and morally just ones. They're also a massive majority. They have the group consensus opinion on everything. They are literally always right because people like them are always right. They identify as correct. And I am saying that exactly the way you are hearing it. The same way people identify as a man or a woman or gay or straight or whatever, they choose the identity of person who is right about this stuff. And they believe they are right about that stuff because everyone like them agrees. And they're willing to withstand being factually wrong about a whole range of things because they will tell themselves, despite their factual inaccuracy, they were still correct morally, right? They don't actually care about whether or not masks work. 
They care about whether or not saying masks work makes them morally right. They don't have anything internally that they can turn to that says, I am a good and valuable person on my own. My independence, my human liberty, my value as a person, I don't have that outside of the group. And if the group doesn't approve of what I'm doing, then I am nothing. I am nobody. I cease to exist. They don't have it as part of their mental or emotional or spiritual toolbox to be able to stand against the crowd, especially when they consider the crowd their peers or people better than them, people who they aspire to be, people who they view as having a nicer life, a more desirable life. They want to be that person, so they will listen to what that person says in hopes that that person will help pull them up to the higher level. They don't care about the facts of the issue. They care about how their position will be seen by people like them and people better than them, because that makes sense when you believe that people like you are in a vast majority. That position makes absolutely no sense whatsoever if it turns out that you are actually in a tiny and shrinking minority. And that is what they're scared of. They're scared of finding that out because that's what's coming. And the truth is that's always been coming. And I've been saying that for two years as well. There is no escaping any of this. The truth is is not on their side and it never has been. They can't support any of it with facts. It's so bad where they're at right now. And again, I have said this a million times. I spent the entire year last year and probably five or six months of 2020 specifically focused in this show on trying to get those people to recognize the error of their ways and Get them to quickly turn around and try to come back, try to figure things out. But they still kept walking down that path. And now they're so far down it that they're not coming back because if they were going to come back, they could have started that journey a long time ago. They don't believe in coming back. They don't believe retracing their steps and starting back at the beginning and trying to be a better person because they don't believe in forgiveness. They believe in climbing a social ladder and preventing the shame that might knock them back down a few rungs. That's why cancel culture was so effective. They're afraid of anyone seeing who they actually are because the entire life is a facade. It's a put on and the mask actually helps because it helps them hide that. Are you a good person? Well, <laughs> look at this mask. That tells you everything. Now, just for fun, let's see how the fake administration's spokes communist handled this yesterday in the press room at the White House. Mask ruling out of a federal court in Florida that it's a disappointing decision and you say you continue to recommend that people wear masks. <laughs> Why 
is it that we can sit here in the White House briefing room with no masks, but people can't sit in an airplane cabin with no masks? Well, Peter, I'm not a doctor. You're not a doctor. That I'm aware of. If you're a doctor, I wasn't aware of that today until today. Okay, not a doctor. Just making sure. I don't know. Um, and nor do you play one on TV. Nor does he play one on TV. There you go. Most days. Um, but these determinations, remember the masking guidance is there are is green, yellow, and red. We are currently in a green zone in Washington, D.C., so they're not recommending it. Some people can still wear a mask if they want to. Many people do, or wear them in meetings, or wear them at certain times where you're going to be around or sitting close to people, or maybe you have an immunocompromised parent or, or friend, and so people make that decision. And there's this is based on health considerations and data that the CDC looks at about transmissibility as, as we've seen an increase in cases on, on airplanes. And would the president support if a flight is leaving from an airport in a green zone, those people don't have to wear masks? Again, Peter, there's a di there's been long a difference from the beginning about people on an airplane and in uh, federal transportation vehicles and situations than where they are in locations. Like, we here, here continue to be in Washington, D.C., a green zone. But what we'd ask for, I think it's important to remember, is a two-week extension, or not ask for, what we had announced was a two-week extension to look at the data and make recommendations based on the data and the science about whether it should be continued or not. Okay. On a different now, obviously, none of that makes any sense, and they are way past the point of even trying to make it make sense. Jen Psaki just tried to say that the reason they don't have to wear masks in the press room is because Washington, D.C. is in a green zone. According to the CDC's data, so therefore masks aren't necessary. Well, that makes no sense because even if you're in a green zone with asymptomatic COVID able to spread to everyone out there, the new very scary variant BA2 just jumping around from person to person asymptomatically, then the aggregate picture, the green zone or the yellow zone or God forbid the red zone, well, that doesn't mean the person next to you isn't asymptomatically infected with COVID. So if the mask works, you should always wear it, but the mask doesn't work and they don't care. So they'll just name the zones, whatever they like. They'll drum up cases wherever they want from tests that we know don't work. And then everything will be dictated by what the CDC says, even though the CDC's ability to make these rules was just deemed unlawful. Now, have there ever been outbreaks on planes? No, but Jen Psaki just said, well, we know the number of cases is going up on planes. Oh, really? Really? Where is that broken down? Where is the science and the data on that? Now, yesterday was the day that the mask mandate was already slated to end. And last week or whenever it was, maybe it was 10 days ago. Maybe it was the end of the week before. It's not worth looking up. But when they announced that that date would be extended for two weeks. Yesterday was that date. Did they know they might get that court decision? It's pretty interesting, isn't it? But they wanted two more weeks to look at the data and the science and see if the new very scary variant was going to attack everybody. Jen Psaki even threw in the you're going to kill grandma argument. 
But what will happen in two weeks? Now, the mask mandate in airplanes is gone, at least for the time being. Maybe we'll only get a week or two out of it. Maybe we'll get four weeks. We'll see. They'll try to bring it back if they can. But what are we going to see in one week, in two weeks, in three weeks, in four weeks? Are we going to have a massive outbreak because of the planes? Is that what they're going to tell us? All this time, there has not been a plane outbreak. We're told that the air, the recycling of the air and the filtering of the air in the airplanes makes COVID even harder to contract. That's why there haven't been any airplane outbreaks. Are we going to hear about airport outbreaks now that the masks will be removed? What happens in two weeks? What happens in a month? What happens in two months? Are we going to see a huge outbreak of COVID? That is what they continue telling us they're protecting us from. It's amazing that they brought back the two-week lag time just a couple weeks ago to justify this mask extension. Well, now they don't have the mask extension. Now they're not going to be able to see the data and the science. What is going to happen when there is no outbreak? Do the masks still work? Do the masks still work on planes? Do we still need them on planes even once they're gone and there's no outbreaks? Oh, it's because uh, Omicron is so much milder. That's why people aren't hospitalized and dying, but they probably have it asymptomatically. And that's what explains the higher case numbers. We should have never taken the masks off on the planes and in the airport. And they'll make that argument. But here's the thing. Here's the thing I've been saying for so very long. Hey, if the masks work, why didn't they? If the masks work, why didn't they? If the masks work, how come you cannot produce a study that actually conclusively shows a benefit to masking? Why is that so difficult? And why is it that every study ever leading up to COVID, said that masking doesn't work. Why is that? They know what masks might work under what conditions. And none of those masks and none of those conditions are being followed. Masks simply do not work. And you know they don't work because they never enforced any particular kind of mask that could. And it's funny, too, that they always believe they're going to be on the right side of history. Hey, commies, the only reason you're ever on the right side of history is because you infiltrate the schools and write the textbooks. There is no other way you have ever ended up on the right side of history, and you're not going to this time either. And you should know that by now, because there's no scientific way that the masks could possibly work. They also did not work. And now you can see that the orders were unlawful. They didn't just become unlawful yesterday. They were unlawful the entire time. It took this long to get rid of them because you also abused the judicial system and the legal system to make your unlawful rules stick for as long as you can. There is no right side of history about this that the communists and maskies could end up on. These people are lucky that they can still point to the mask and call it a relatively minor convenience to thwart the actual critique of what they have done. 
We need to stop pretending that the mask thing is some small thing. It's not a small thing. It never was a small thing. It is a key step in the atomization and disintegration of society. It has always been that. It has only been that. Hey, commies, good luck with your upcoming riots. Now that your BLM Antifa domestic terrorist foot soldiers can't hide their face from public view any longer. Good luck. Now, while we're on the subject of the very deadly pandemic, this paper was published on March 16th in the British Medical Journal, the BMJ. The illusion of evidence-based medicine. Evidence-based medicine has been corrupted by corporate interests, failed regulation, and commercialization of academia, argue these authors. The advent of evidence-based medicine was a paradigm shift intended to provide a solid scientific foundation for medicine. The validity of this new paradigm, however, depends on reliable data from clinical trials, most of which are conducted by the pharmaceutical industry and reported in the names of senior academics. The release into the public domain of previously confidential pharmaceutical industry documents has given the medical community valuable insight into the degree to which industry-sponsored clinical trials are misrepresented. Until this problem is corrected, evidence-based medicine will remain an illusion. The philosophy of critical rationalism advanced by the philosopher Karl Popper famously advocated for the integrity of science and its role in an open democratic society. A society of real integrity would be one in which practitioners are careful not to cling to cherished hypotheses and take seriously the outcome of the most stringent experiments. This ideal is, however, threatened by corporations in which financial interests trump the common good. Medicine is largely dominated by a small number of very large pharmaceutical companies that compete for market share, but are effectively united in their efforts to expand that market. The short-term stimulus to biomedical research because of privatization has been celebrated by free market champions, but the unintended consequences for medicine have been severe. Scientific progress is thwarted by the ownership of data and knowledge because industry suppresses negative trial results, fails to report adverse events, and does not share raw data with the academic research community. Patients die because of the adverse impact of commercial interests on the research agenda, universities, and regulators. The pharmaceutical industry's responsibility to its shareholders means that priority must be given to their hierarchical power structures, product loyalty, and public relations propaganda over scientific integrity. Although universities have always been elite institutions prone to influence through endowments, they have long laid claim to being guardians of truth and the moral conscience of society. But in the face of inadequate government funding, they have adopted a neoliberal market approach, actively seeking pharmaceutical funding on commercial terms. As a result, university departments become instruments of industry. Through company control of the research agenda and ghostwriting of medical journal articles and continuing medical education, academics become agents for the promotion of commercial products. When scandals involving industry academy partnership are exposed in the mainstream media. Trust in academic institutions is weakened and the vision of an open society is betrayed. The corporate university also compromises the concept of academic leadership. 
Deans who reach their leadership positions by virtue of distinguished contributions to their disciplines have in places been replaced with fundraisers and academic managers who are forced to demonstrate their profitability or show they can attract corporate sponsors. In medicine, those who succeed in academia are likely to be key opinion leaders in marketing parlance whose careers can be advanced through the opportunities provided by industry. Potential key opinion leaders are selected on a complex array of profiling activities carried out by companies. For example, physicians are selected based on their influence on prescribing habits of other physicians. Key opinion leaders are sought out by industry for this influence and for the prestige that their university affiliation brings to the branding of the company's products. As well-paid members of pharmaceutical advisory boards and speakers bureaus, key opinion leaders present results of industry trials at medical conferences and in continuing medical education. Instead of acting as independent, disinterested scientists and critically evaluating a drug's performance, they become what marketing executives refer to as, quote unquote, product champions. Ironically, industry-sponsored key opinion leaders appear to enjoy many of the advantages of academic freedom, supported as they are by their universities, the industry, and journal editors for expressing their views, even when those views are incongruent with real evidence. While universities fail to correct misrepresentations of the science from such collaborations, critics of industry face rejections from journals, legal threats, and the potential destruction of their careers. This uneven playing field is exactly what concerned Popper when he wrote about suppression and control of the means of science communication. The preservation of institutions designed to further scientific objectivity and impartiality, i.e. public laboratories, independent scientific periodicals, and congresses, is entirely at the mercy of political and commercial power. Vested interest will always override the rationality of evidence. Regulators receive funding from industry and use industry funded and performed trials to approve drugs without, in most cases, seeing the raw data. What confidence do we have in a system in which drug companies are permitted to mark their own homework rather than having their products tested by independent experts as part of a public regulatory system? Unconcerned governments and captured regulators are unlikely to initiate necessary change to remove research from industry altogether and clean up publishing models that depend on reprint revenue, advertising, and sponsorship revenue. Our proposals for reforms include liberation of regulators from drug company funding, taxation imposed on pharmaceutical companies to allow public funding of independent trials. And perhaps most importantly, anonymized individual patient level trial data posted along with study protocols on suitably accessible websites so that third parties self-nominated or commissioned by health technology agencies could rigorously evaluate the methodology and trial results with necessary changes to trial consent forms. Participants could require trialists to make the data freely available. The open and transparent publication of data are in keeping with our moral obligation to trial participants, real people 
who have been involved in risky treatment and have a right to expect that the results of their participation will be used in keeping with principles of scientific rigor. Industry concerns about privacy and intellectual property rights should not hold sway. And it is very important to understand this, okay? Every time we are told to trust the science and trust the experts, what we are really being told is trust what we tell you on behalf of the corporations and on behalf of the overall agenda. We have seen time and time again that the regulators are bought off and they are not doing the jobs we imagine they are doing. They are doing their jobs as they are currently defined. They are literally hired so that they can go in and sign off on whatever the pharmaceutical companies want because the pharmaceutical companies fund the FDA and they fund the CDC. And we are told that these government organizations don't have the funding from the federal government to be able to do the work they're intended to do. So that's why they need to take in all this outside money. But the truth is that what they are able to do in their agencies keeps expanding. We keep being told that these agencies need more funding and more power so they can do this very important work. And we have to accept that all their work is very important because if we say, hey, no, that actually isn't important work. We actually don't need to create new viruses. We don't need to create bioweapons. We don't need to graft late-term aborted fetal tissue onto mice to see if the mice's skin reacts once they're humanized. We don't actually need to put beagles in cages and then fill those cages with parasites that will torture the beagles until they die so that we can have more of the science. Maybe we just don't need to do that stuff. And maybe saying that is not anti-science. It is for a moral science. It is for an evidence-based medicine that precludes the torture of animals and precludes creating a market where there is a financial incentive directly attached to late-term aborted fetal tissue. Because once there's an incentive attached. What do we get more of? There is no science that the CDC is basing their rules on. So we don't need to be doctors to evaluate their rules. And what Jen Psaki did when she tried to be funny and distract everybody from the question Peter Ducey asked was she said, I'm not a doctor and you're not a doctor. That means neither of us are allowed to evaluate any of this based on the substance or the facts of the case. The only thing we're allowed to evaluate is whether or not the two of us are the sorts of people with such hubris that we would challenge what the CDC says is the science without ourselves being scientists. Where do you get off? challenging the science as told to you by your betters in the news. The science came down from Mount Science. It was delivered to the Oracle, Anthony Fauci. 
He carved it into stone tablets. He scaled his way back down Mount Science and delivered the tablets to the CDC. The CDC then discovered what the science said. And then they told all of us through the news. They sent their minions out all over the news. Hey, tell the people what the new science is. The science has evolved. They need to know. We are coming up on in three days. I always remembered this date, April 22nd, 2020. Gavin Newsom used to give daily COVID press conferences every single day. He was out there telling us what the science said in his very serious look with his very serious hair. Oh, Gavin Newsom, you are straight out of central casting. We cannot wait for you to be our president forever. You're like a white Barack Obama. Well, on April 22nd, 2020, Gavin Newsom, during his daily press conference, told us all that it turns out the earliest case of COVID in California was three weeks earlier than what we thought it was. So rather than being the middle of January, it was toward the end of December, that COVID death. And, you know, the incubation period and the period from infection to death was thought to be around two to three weeks, but sometimes longer. So we knew that COVID had been in the United States from at least early December of 2019, but very likely mid to late November of 2019. And there we were in late April of 2020, a full four to five months after the initial COVID infections on the West Coast. And we were just now beginning to lock down. We hadn't even installed mask mandates yet. We just had lockdowns just for the last few weeks. We just stopped doing stuff a month ago. March 12th of 2020 was when Tom Hanks came down with the very deadly pandemic. We shut down the NBA and the NHL, and then things just started happening. Oh my God, look at all these changes. There must be something very serious going on. But Gavin Newsom came out and said the first COVID case was actually a lot earlier than we thought, but we were still supposed to accept every other part of the COVID narrative, even knowing that new fact. So we had been living with COVID in our midst for three and a half to four and a half months without doing anything, without changing our lives at all. We went to sporting events, we went to concerts, we went to bars, we went to restaurants, we shopped freely in the grocery store without masks or little spots on the floor so that lonely millennial feminists could have something more in their day to get mad at and they would never have to look at the fact that their culture has destroyed them emotionally and they will never recover. Instead, they just get little spots on the floor. So they can say, you have to stand over there. Well, uh, okay, lady. How's your ethically non-monogamous relationship working out? Now, who's ready for another big dose of liberal insanity? This is from Friday, MSNBC. Inflation dooms Dems midterm chances. 
so they should pass as much as they can now. This is by Michael A. Cohen, MSNBC political opinion columnist. I have some bad news for Democrats. As bad as things seem now, they're almost certainly going to get worse. The Labor Department released its latest consumer price index reports this week, and the numbers are ugly. Inflation hit 8.5%, the fastest one-year surge in prices since Ronald Reagan's first year as president. Much of the increase is being driven by a sharp rise in gasoline prices and the price increases from pandemic-related supply chain disruptions. Oh, well, that's weird. So it's not uh, Vladimir Putin? Oh, it's just the pandemic? It's still COVID? So it's Trump's fault? Got it. Whatever the reason, however, the political fallout is less of a mystery. It's precisely the kind of news that will compound the Democrats' political woes in November, which already looked dire. Rather than fight the prevailing political winds, Democrats would be better off acknowledging the reality that the midterm elections are going to be a bloodbath and focus instead on accomplishing as much as possible before then. The politics be damned. Perhaps this argument is a bit overdetermined. Maybe Democrats can find a path to keep their majorities in the House and the Senate. Anything is possible, but don't bet on it. To maintain their narrow congressional advantage of 12 seats in the House and a tie in the Senate, Democrats would need to outrun history. Traditionally, the party in power fares poorly in midterm elections and has, since World War II, lost an average of 26 House seats. Democrats would need to lose only seven to lose the House. The exceptions in 1998 and 2002 were attributed to perceived Republican overreach in impeaching Bill Clinton and to President George W. Bush's relatively high poll numbers. That scenario is unlikely to play out in 2022, if only because President Joe Biden is incredibly unpopular. But hey, guy, it's not only because of that. According to an average of polling results, Biden's approval rating is at 40.9%, more than 11 points below his disapproval rating of 52.3%. That's actually worse than President Donald Trump's approval ratings at a similar point in his presidency. That year, Republicans lost 40 seats in the House. And it's always important to remember when they are comparing poll numbers between Biden and Trump, that Biden has absolutely the entire establishment, the entire old guard supporting him. All of the media, all the social media, all the experts, all the corporations, all the universities, everything is there to support Joe Biden's legitimacy and Joe Biden's competence. And still, he is at historically low numbers. That is how obviously bad he is. Donald Trump, on the other hand, stood in the face of attacks from all of those old guard institutions throughout his entire presidency, the entire thing from well before day one, from the moment he walked down the escalator until right now, the entire thing has been aligned against him in every possible sense. And he is not only, was not only better rated during his presidency at the same time, he is also polling better than Joe Biden right now. And that's because the old guard is losing all of its power. 
Since 1994, as the country has become more deeply polarized, the president's approval rating has become the most useful predictor of midterm success or failure. In 1998 and 2002, Clinton and Bush, respectively, were both above 60 percent. But in every other election, the incumbent was below 50 percent. The generic congressional ballot doesn't provide much room for optimism either. Republicans have a lead of more than three points. As G. Elliot Morris, a data journalist at The Economist, put it to me, there are a lot of predictive indicators of how the midterm elections will go, some of them very accurate, and none of them are good for Democrats. Hopeful Democrats might be inclined to argue that things can get better before November, but again, history isn't on their side. Generally, if a president is doing poorly at the beginning of the year, attitudes don't change before Election Day. Again, anything is possible. He's just trying to keep the commies reading. It gets too upset at them, so they need a little cookie every now and then. Hey, commies, don't worry. It might be okay. It won't be okay, but it might be okay. Keep reading. Keep believing us. We have steered you down the wrong path time and time again throughout the entirety of your human life, but keep believing us. It's going to work out for you sooner or later. Historical trends can be broken. Consider the weakness of the GOP Senate recruiting class. There are likely to be inexperienced first-time candidates in Georgia and Pennsylvania. There are flickering reasons for hope. And with so few competitive House seats this year because of redistricting, Democrats may be able to limit their losses. You got that? Democrats gerrymandered the districts in blue states to such an advantage that they will be able to keep seats in Congress just from doing that. Shouldn't we be proud of them? And I love that he says the weakness of the GOP Senate recruiting class. That only makes sense if you are the sort of child brain that doesn't understand the ascendancy of the America First movement. Herschel Walker in Georgia is not a weak GOP nominee. Herschel Walker is going to be a powerhouse that wins his election running away. And that will be true wherever America first candidates are put up for election and supported by Donald Trump and Donald Trump's movement. What if Democrats are able to somehow win over Senators Joe Manchin of West Virginia and Kirsten Sinema of Arizona and persuade them to support Biden's Build Back Better agenda? Wouldn't that rally their base and build support going into November? Well, no, commie. That's not going to happen at all. First off, the reason they're not supporting the agenda already is because the agenda is terrible and their careers would be over. If they were going to support your terrible agenda, why wouldn't they have done it from the beginning when your party wasn't so obviously exposed and floundering and incompetent? As was the case in midterm elections after Obamacare passed, or to go further back in 1982 after President Reagan passed his legislative agenda, or even 1966 when Democrats pushed through their Great Society agenda. Generally speaking, voters don't reward politicians for passing legislation they support. And if anything, passage of Biden's agenda could have the opposite effect, further rallying already energized Republicans to vote the party line in November, though it's not as if Republicans need even more incentive to cast ballots. Well, at least he's figured that part out. So 
things might get better for Biden if he passes his agenda, but also things might get worse if Biden passes his agenda. You understand where we are in this article? With the political situation looking increasingly bleak, Democrats have only one real option, pass their agenda. While there may be some political upside, the bigger and more important reason is that it's the right thing to do. After all, it's the reason voters elected them in November 2020. Now, that paragraph is absolutely magnificent. Okay, first off, you have to take hook, line and sinker the ridiculous notion that Joe Biden and Democrats actually legitimately won the 2020 election. Every single day, there is more proof of how absurd that notion is. It is totally, completely ridiculous. The proof for election fraud, election manipulation, election lawlessness, election crime, and election theft are overwhelming. The proof is everywhere. It's not hard to find. You just have to proactively look because the news isn't going to tell you. But they're not going to look because they don't have the ability to think independently. That should be abundantly clear by now. And so the narrative remains and the narrative for them is still useful. The Democrats won this big election in 2020, which means they have the mandate to govern and to pass their agenda because that must be what they won on. Sure, Joe Biden was in the basement while Donald Trump was holding rallies with 75,000 people. And sure, The win that they keep referring to happened in the middle of the night after everyone could see it wasn't going to happen. It happened in what, four cities or six cities where the most fraud occurred. And without those cities that completely defied the rest of the trends in the states and the regions without that, well, Joe Biden wouldn't have won. And of course, Joe Biden didn't win. But to take the leap that the Democrats have a mandate to govern is insane. And it's utterly disproven by everything that has happened since then. So not only did they win, even though they didn't, which gives them a mandate to govern that they simply do not have. That mandate actually means it's the right thing to do to pass their agenda, including build back better, which is not even their agenda. It is the global communist agenda of the World Economic Forum as spoken by Klaus Schwab over and over and over again. And if you don't believe me, if that seems like a conspiracy to you, go to YouTube, type in build back better compilation. And you can see world leaders from around the world, all involved in the World Economic Forum's project of a one world global communist order. And they are all saying that we need to build back better. We need to build back better. Our societies have been decimated by the very deadly pandemic, and we need to build back better. And the way to build back better is to do whatever we tell you. We're going to track you. We're going to put in a social credit score. We're going to give you an environmental and social governance score to make sure that you are living properly. They're putting in a social credit score in Italy right now. You'll get points for being righteous, for real, righteous, righteous points. You did the right thing in society. So you get a little point sooner or later. If you accumulate enough of those points, you're going to get to buy whatever you want at the grocery store. If we allow you to have access to enough of your money, 
Because, of course, we're also going to have a cashless global digital central bank currency. And they get to turn it on and off whenever they want. And everything's going to be electricity. They can turn your car on and off whenever they want. I saw a Jeep Cherokee commercial on television over the weekend for an electric Jeep Cherokee. They had that Jeep Cherokee up at the top of a mountain. Hey, guys, you can't go to the top of a mountain and back with an electric car. And everybody kind of knows that. But they say, hey, we live in cities. We want electric cars so that we can be righteous people in our cities. And we want to drive SUVs, even though we told everybody that SUVs were gas guzzlers and we insulted them on that basis. We want SUVs because they're comfortable. Those other people that want SUVs because they're comfortable, well, they're no-no people, but we can have SUVs because they're electric and we can afford them. And the thing is, we're never going to drive to a mountain. But hey, commies, if you can't drive to a mountain, that means you also can't really escape your city if anything bad goes down. But it's not going to go down, is it? Nothing bad's going to happen because the good guys are governing, right? Nothing bad could possibly happen with Democrats in office. All those BLM Antifa riots where people were just running around, burning your cities down and looting the stores and beating people senseless for no reason, just random acts of violence. That was Donald Trump's America. The Democrats had nothing to do with that. So you actually don't have any reason to ever want to get out of your city. So just stay there. If the electricity goes off and you can't drive anywhere, hey, it's going to be okay. If the police that we defunded aren't enough to protect you, well, then we'll call in a U.N. peacekeeping force. Everything's going to be just fine. But what do we need to ensure that we do? Well, we need to pass the Democrat agenda because it's the right thing to do. Now, yes, as soon as Democrats entered fake office on January 20th, 2021, Everything since then has made the country reject Democrats and reject their agenda. Nothing could be clearer than the fact that the country doesn't want anything to do with the Democrat agenda anymore. And this writer, Michael A. Cohen from MSNBC, the opinion columnist, has decided that Despite the fact that people don't want any of the Democrat agenda now that they see what it really is, well, they wanted it more in November of 2020, and they gave the Democrats the mandate to govern. Therefore, the only responsible thing to do is to pass the entire agenda, even though people don't want it. Because they're already in such a weak political position that passing the agenda it can't really make it any worse than it already is. It's so bad that it can't become worse. So go ahead and do the thing that absolutely no citizens of the United States want you to do because you had a mandate based on stolen elections a year and a half ago. That is the argument that is being made here. Of course, passing Biden's agenda is easier said than done. What with Manchin and Cinema continuing to play the role of congressional sticks in the mud. But at this point, Democrats should basically push to pass any legislation the two recalcitrant senators are willing to support. It's pretty much their only hope of enacting any of their agenda by November.
Biden also can act on his own. The liberal magazine, The American Prospect, has outlined a litany of executive actions Biden could take to enact parts of his stalled agenda. For example, he could fight climate change by immediately ending all drilling and mining on federal lands. Does that fight climate change? No, it doesn't. But does it seem like it to a bunch of child brain Democrats and communists? Yes, it does. Though in the context of increasingly rising oil prices, that would be a tough one to consider. You see that? You got to do the important thing unless it's too politically difficult. Then you just say that you should do it even though you can't. We are simultaneously being told that the future of the planet is at stake due to climate change. We need to save the earth from the sun. So we must pass this climate agenda, even though no one wants it and it won't work. He could enact regulations to restrict dangerous pollutants and even declare a climate emergency. Well, if you declare a climate emergency, it's just like a COVID pandemic emergency. And then the government can do whatever it wants forever. And hey, remember, remember how we said that, uh, that racism was also a public health emergency. Remember that (laughs) you got to understand they get to do whatever they want. He can unilaterally create federal parks and protected lands and even tear down parts of Trump's border wall. Wait a second. Why would he tear down parts of Trump's border wall? Well, does, does that help climate change? Well, that's very, very confusing. Oh, no, 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 no. It just helps with the slave trade at the southern border because we need to keep bringing in hundreds of thousands of illegal immigrants every month, fully unvetted. Where else are we going to get our slave labor? Who else are we going to be able to exploit? for voter registration numbers so that we can say they voted and then no one can ever check. That's just in case we don't pass the ability for illegal immigrants to vote by the time November comes around. But don't think they won't. Don't think they won't figure it out somehow. They don't care whether or not any of this stuff is lawful. They only care if it serves their purpose until the courts rule otherwise. And we just saw that yesterday in high relief. Biden could use the authority provided by the 1980 Bay Dole Act to seize patent licenses for prescription drugs developed by universities, nonprofits and small businesses operating under federal contracts and redistribute those licenses to drug manufacturers who can produce and sell them at lower prices, thus lowering some drug costs for consumers, though previously the administration has downplayed the idea. Okay, wait a second. They're going to seize patent licenses for prescription drugs developed by universities, nonprofits, and small businesses. Why aren't they doing that from big pharmaceutical companies? And why isn't Michael A. Cohen, the MSNBC opinion columnist, supporting that idea? Oh, you got you to gotta take from the small people because they can't stop you. Oh, yeah, good point. Good point. Very, very smart, Kami. Perhaps above all, He could try to unilaterally forgive thousands of dollars in student debt, thus providing an economic lifeline to young college graduates. Isn't that great? Student debt is more important than other debt. 
Do they get to wipe away the debt we have all amassed? After our jobs were taken from us at the snap of a communist governor's fingers? No, we never get that money back again. We have to work harder until we get that money back. But a bunch of communist gender studies majors, they can have all of their money back because they are going to pursue a life of supporting the communist state. And we need the supporters of the state. If we don't have the supporters of the state, well, then even our base might not vote for us. And that's exactly what's happening. Joe Biden's support among young people is about 21%. And while young people have largely seen through this entire charade, that 21%, well, they're on board for life. They are committed to global communism because they learned it in the university. And the way to get more people to continue going to the university so that they can learn the joys of global communism, even as it tears apart their lives, well, we have to make it free. Otherwise, no one would want to do it because the illusion that they will find a good job after getting a degree in gender studies, well, that's vanished. So maybe we should have the IRS hire them. Or maybe we'll make a green task force that will hire all these communists directly out of college and then give them government power so that they can inflict the same harms on the population of America that they got to inflict with the mask mandates. They will love that. Because the thing is, if we don't remove their college debt, they're about to have to start repaying it. And once they start repaying it while realizing that they don't have a job that can afford the repayment, well, then they just might wake up and realize that gender studies was a good waste of four years. They might even start to figure out how awful looking they are. All these measures would be controversial and likely spark a political backlash. Some may not survive judicial review or could be overturned by a future Congress. They may not survive judicial review. He is literally supporting extra constitutional power so that the global communists, the illegitimate global communists, can enact an agenda that no one supports. This is a good thing in the mind of Michael A. Cohen MSNBC opinion columnist. But at this point in Biden's presidency, his back is to the wall and his dreams of having an FDR like presidency are fading away the closer we get to November. It's going to be funny when FDR can no longer be their idol, when we just realize that the New Deal was a failure and the fact that 75 years later, Medicare and Social Security are going bankrupt and didn't actually fix American health care or secure the financial life of retired people might actually indicate that communism is not good policy. If Republicans do take over even just the House in November, Biden's domestic agenda will, for all intents and purposes, be dead in the water. He might as well try to achieve what he can now and do so before Election Day in the fleeting hope that it might minimize his party's midterm losses. Now, again, 
This author already understands that passing this agenda will not help Democrats. It is not a last best hope. It is guaranteed to hurt the party further because no one wants this. No one wants it. He does not care. He wants the policies enacted in the hopes that they can never be taken away. And part of that hope is based on the knowledge that rhinos will get into office and help the Democrats to ensure that the agenda, that the America first agenda cannot actually fulfill its promise to America, to the American people. That is what he wants. But Democrats would also help themselves by remembering why most of them ran for office and got elected in the first place to get things done. By their nature, politicians do things for political reasons. And the ultimate goal of any elected official is to get elected again. Communists. The ultimate goal of every elected official is and should be to serve his constituents according to and upholding the Constitution of the United States. That is the politician's job, not getting elected again. But Democrats, unlike Republicans, actually believe in the power of government to help the American people. If they aren't passing legislation and trying to lower drug prices, increasing access to health care, saving the planet from the ravages of climate change, raising families out of poverty or helping the middle class, then what is the point of electing Democrats in the first place? Well, now you've asked the right question. But let's go back and look at the questions you actually asked. Do Democrats lower drug prices? No, never. Do they increase access to health care? No, never. Do they save the planet from the ravages of climate change? No, never. And they can't. And there are not ravages. Do they raise families out of poverty or help the middle class? No, never. What is the point of electing Democrats in the first place? Well, it's to advance a global communist agenda, which benefits a tiny and shrinking portion of our population to the detriment of of absolutely everyone else. That is the point of electing Democrats. Without the complete and total control of our culture by those same global communists, everyone would just see that obvious truth. All of this is terrible. It always was terrible. The fact that at any point it was not terrible is only an illusion of the culture. Spending the next six and a half months pushing a progressive policy agenda may not save the party come November, but sometimes there are bigger considerations than just the next election. And it's not as if they have much hope anyway. So there you have it. This is absolute unbridled desperation. And there's no end in sight. And they have experienced this sort of desperation many times before. In fact, they were experiencing it about two years ago when they started realizing that not everyone was going along with their COVID agenda as they had planned all of their plans, which you can read, by the way, you can go online, not Google, not DuckDuckGo, and maybe not quant, but you can go to an actual free speech search engine and easily find a document from Johns Hopkins center for health security called Spars Pandemic 2025 through 2028. And what you will read in that document 
is a war-gamed scenario of public communication in the event of a very deadly pandemic. And you can read through that document and see exactly what our popular culture, our universities, our social media companies, our media, our politicians did in response to COVID. It is exactly the same. The plans are always there. They are always known. They don't hide their plans. They brag about them because they think everybody is going to realize how smart and how great they are. They don't plan for people to not comply. They think they have all the power. They think they have all the right answers. They think that they can marginalize anyone who disobeys. They have found out that's wrong. The people didn't go along with it. The people aren't going to start going along with it. And what did they do at that period in 2020? Well, they made everybody watch a video of George Floyd dying under a police officer's knee after overdosing on fentanyl. And then they staged month after month of Black Lives Matter Antifa domestic terrorism throughout our country so that everybody would get on the same side because they didn't want to be called racist. We had all of the child brains in our country rationalizing and justifying any level of violence and depravity while claiming that they were solving racism. That is what desperation does. If you think they don't have more riots planned, you need to think again. Molly Ball in Time Magazine early last February wrote a long article about what the response was going to be if somehow Donald Trump was able to stay in office. And the riots were a big part of that. They planned these. We just saw Black Lives Matter back in action last week. And we'll likely begin hearing more and more about that. Even as Patrice Cullors, one of the Black Lives Matter Marxist founders and leaders, is having to explain how she just came to own a $6 million mansion. And what is she asking for now? More privacy for BLM's finances. We know what the next stages are. The pandemic didn't work. The vaccines didn't work. The stolen election didn't work. The war in Ukraine didn't work. And Black Lives Matter Antifa isn't going to work because people don't believe the news anymore. So what the news is going to do is show us more and more extreme things until they have run out of things. This is the stage of desperation. They are in this stage of desperation and it will only grow from here, which is why we have to be on the lookout all the time and be able to spot the bullshit as soon as they release it. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic and Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm Your Moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm Your Moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com 
slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!